I know that one person has come up already to me and said, uh, we've had one of these Messiah in the Passover demonstrations years ago, maybe from Chosen People Ministries, the mission that I work with, or one of the other ones that specifically try to reach out to the Jewish population with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, or Yeshua HaMashiach. Uh, I'm part of Chosen People Ministries, and uh, I want to share with you just a little bit about what I do within the organization. And I fail to pass out these uh, brochures. Uh, I usually forget something. That's why I bring my wife along with me, Linda, who's raising her hand right now, so you can greet her later. Uh, but anyway, brochures here that have her and my picture. Thankfully, her picture is in it as well as mine. But uh, uh, you can read about what we do, and if you want to get involved in our ministry, you can uh, fill this out and give it to me at the end of the service. Uh, this is going to be an abbreviated presentation of the, uh, the very important information concerning the Passover. But we want to teach, and uh, our primary uh, emphasis in our ministry is to get back to the basics. Uh, the ministry has been around since uh, 1894, so well over 125 years. We have been focusing on how in the world can we present the gospel uh, that is generally understood as a Gentile Christianity to a Jewish population that in many cases has rejected Christianity because of persecution in the Middle Ages. Uh, that's to put it very simply. But our job is to train people, Jewish and Gentile believers in Jesus, who want to uh, uh, make that their passion, who are called to that kind of ministry, just like someone might be called to Bolivia, uh, to share the good news with people there. So many are called to the nation of Israel, if you will, the scattered Jews all over the world, in order to make the gospel clear and present it in the Jewish context. So my role in this is in the training aspect. We're trying to emphasize evangelism and discipleship. So evangelism is introducing people to the Lord and baptizing, and, and discipleship is helping them grow in their relationship to Jesus. And then the training is where I fit in because I'm the director of what's called the Feinberg Center for Messianic Jewish Studies. It's a master's level training program in concert with Talbot School of Theology in uh, California. So we're the East Coast uh, extension of that program. And we've had about 30 students who've gone through the program and they're all involved. Most of them are involved in Jewish ministry in some form or fashion. So in a nutshell, that's what Linda, my wife, and I do. Uh, we uh, teach in, or I teach in Brooklyn, uh, or I haven't for the last year and a half or so, but uh, as you may know, but uh, we uh, uh, have been uh, at, at the center there since 2007, teaching uh, Jewish and Gentile believers. So that's who I am, what I do, and now I want to uh, introduce you to something very special. We're not taking the place of the communion table, although communion will be served a little bit later. But we might ask the question, well, what did it look like when Jesus and his disciples were sitting around that table and John was leaning on Jesus' breast and they were uh, sitting reclining in a, in a position. You, you've seen the pictures of the Last Supper. What might they have been doing? Now, I must confess that much of what we do in this demonstration is conjecture. But the reason is because we, we have very good reason to believe that over the years, the Jewish people have added to the simple Exodus passage that we'll read in a little bit that has to do with commemorating 
the uh, exodus from Egypt. And that's what Passover is all about. Right? So what was it like and what did Jesus do? We're not sure, but we have a pretty good idea of what it might have looked like based upon the way this supper, this meal is celebrated in Jewish homes all around the world these days. Uh, my wife and I had the privilege of, uh, while I was in a doctoral program at New York University, we were able to go to all kinds of Messianic, or sorry, of Jewish um, uh, Passover meals in the homes of those who reject Jesus as the Messiah. But we saw the various ways that it was uh, observed. And so I want to say to you that in the first place, two, just two things. Number one, it's clear that when Jesus instituted the Lord's table, just as was read by Pastor Motley, uh, it was the Passover meal. They were looking to celebrate the Passover meal. And so in that very last night before he was crucified, he demonstrated the connection between the Passover lamb in the Old Testament and himself, the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And then years later, we are celebrating both the, the Lord's table in churches and Jewish people are celebrating the Passover Seder. What I want to do is to show you how it all comes together. And so that's, uh, that's the way we're going. So the first thing is there's no, no mistake about the connection. But how Jewish was the Passover meal? What did Jesus do? That's what we're going to try to answer today. And part of it is, as I say, by um, uh, we're, we're supposing that this may have happened. But you'll see why I'm saying that in a moment. But the second thing I want to say just in introduction is the sanctity of the meal. Uh, Paul, in 1 Corinthians uh, 5, told us that it was a sanctified time when we come for the Lord's table. And the Lord's table is supposed to be a time of self-examination. I know you do it monthly. In the churches that I've pastored, we did it monthly. Other churches do it every week. Uh, it just depends. But every time we come to the Lord's table, the broken bread and the wine representing his blood, it's to be with a sanctified attitude. No leaven of sin. No bickering. No um, rebellion. No backbiting. Nothing like that in the body of the Lord when we come to this table. So that might serve as just a, an introduction as well. But I do want to, uh, to tell you that the sanctity is underscored by the way they uh, dress in a very Orthodox Jewish home, and I'm going to tell you about uh, the home that we went to most often. It was a very sophisticated home of a medical doctor in Long Island. Uh, he was um, the stenographer uh, at the Nuremberg Trials, if that tells you something. So he had plenty of stories to tell about, uh, about that event. But um, a white mitre is worn, usually by the one who's the head of the feast. Excuse me. And this symbolizes, along with the white robe that they would wear, the purity of the event. And so I'm not going to wear it, don't worry, but uh, this is the way they would look all the way through the cer cer ceremony. Everybody else who's a male would have his head covered because he's in the presence of God in a very special way, uh, because it's, a, it's a, one of the feasts, of course, Passover, but also because they're going to be reading from the text. And whenever you do that, whether you're an Orthodox Jew or a conservative Jew, it doesn't matter, you'd be wearing what is called a, a kippah or a yarmulke. And again, I won't wear that either. Now, also, I'll just explain to you what's going to be on the table. There's a plate that usually is in the center of the table. It's called the Seder plate. 
The word Seder means order, and you notice there are some indentations around the plate. There are ceremonial foods that go into each one of the indentations, and that's the center plate at the home in, of a Jewish uh, family. And uh, it's, it's um, uh, very significant that they use symbols to represent certain things, and we'll tell you about those in a moment. These Hebrew names or words are the names of the elements that are in each of the uh, indentations. In the center is the word Pesach, which is the Hebrew word for Passover. It's Pesach. And so this is called Pesach in the Jewish uh, community. You'll notice also that there are three glasses here. I'm sorry, there are four, but we're going to be drinking out of three of those glasses. The cups represent various things in the history of the Exodus. The first cup is the cup of blessing. The second cup is called the cup of plagues or the cup of punishment. The third cup is a very important cup. It's called the cup of redemption. And then the fourth cup is called uh, the cup of praise also. Uh, so there are four cups of wine that are taken in a Jewish home uh, at the meal. So I'd like to uh, just read to you a couple of, uh, of, uh, of the blessings that are involved. Uh, in the first place, uh, the, the meal begins with the pouring of the first uh, cup of wine. Don't worry, this is grape juice. I should still be standing by the end of the presentation. But a blessing is given over this at the very beginning, after the, the, the candles are actually lit by the woman of the home. And so she'll light the candles, and uh, as uh, she invites the, the presence of the Lord to come into the home and sanctify the meeting. And so in an Orthodox Jewish home, or a home that is very serious about these things, uh, they take it uh, uh, in a serious fashion. Okay? So the first blessing is uh, simply over the wine, and it's Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Olam. Asher, sorry, Pore Hagafen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. And then everybody takes this together. So if you were sitting around a large table, maybe 12 or 13 of you, You'd be leaning to the left and drinking to the right so you don't spill it down the front of you, but you would drink it. And uh, if we were doing a presentation where you would all participate, you would get to eat all of this stuff with me, but I am the only one that gets to. I failed to mention that there is a book that is read from. It's called the Haggadah. Haggadah means the telling of the story. And usually they are uh, very ornate, beautiful, all written in Hebrew, and we have Hebrew um, text that is read very often throughout the, uh, the evening. So if you don't understand Hebrew, you might not be able to follow along too well. Thankfully, they were also read in English, so uh, that helps a great deal. So after the blessing the first of the first cup called the Kiddush, or the cup of uh, sanctification or blessing, comes something called the Urchatz, Urchatz. You could practice saying that with me if you want. Urchatz, the guttural, like German. So you have to clear your throat a little bit as you speak. But it's the urchatz, the urchatz. And it has to do with washing. Now, very interestingly, in the Passover meal, in every Jewish home, there will be a laver or a bowl of water that's filled with water that is poured over the fingers of everybody who is seated at the table. It's a ceremonial Washing, that represents sanctification again, or purity, right? Ceremonial, but that's what it is. Uh, 
So th- keep this in mind. The master of the feast would never wash the hands of those who are guests at that feast. It would be a servant if the home was large enough and wealthy enough to have a servant. Or it would be someone in the family, perhaps one of the children or the wife. But it would never be the master of the feast. That would be beneath him. And yet this is what is done in every Jewish home. It's called the urchatz, the urchatz. Now, the next thing that is done is called uh, the karpas. Karpas is the word for um, any kind of a, oh, a, a vegetable that is green. Usually parsley is what is used. And parsley is taken and uh, dipped into a cup of very, very uh, 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 potent salt water. The salt water represents the Red Sea to the Jewish people sitting around the table as they crossed from Egypt into uh, the uh, uh, peninsula, Sinai. So uh, that's dipped into the water, and then everybody around the take, table takes it at the same time. So it's Baruch Adonai Eloheinu, Melech HaOlam, Borei Peri HaAdama. Instead of uh, from the vine, it is fruit from the earth and the parsley is taken together. Now, I'm going to do this just because it chokes me up. There are some people who like parsley, and there are others who don't. I consider this part of doing penance for Lent. <laughs> and uh, Linda, I forgot to bring water, but that's all right. Well, we'll make it. But imagine if, oh no, that's okay. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> you can imagine children around the table gagging on this, and some of the parents as well. But it's a, it's a, it's a way to magnify the um, experience of the feast. And so they're experiencing it. So that's the, um, called the karpas. The next thing that is done is similar in sound. It's, it's not urchatz, but it's yachutz. So you can try that with me, yachutz. And uh, not kahoots, but it's yachutz. Excuse me, I'll get <laughs> John, you're a lifesaver here. <laughs> Thank you so much. That, that, looks, br- what? that looks brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> There's something in the Bible about people giving water to others. Hmm. For some reason, that was worse than normal. Uh, I want you to be thinking, as we're going through this, what kind of connections you might see uh, in the New Testament. We're talking about Old Testament and Jewish tradition right now. The Yakuts is perhaps the most important thing that we read about or experience when we're in a home. Every Jewish home has something like this called a matzatashin may not be quite as fancy as this, but it's a bag that has three compartments in it. It's a three-compartment bag, which is also called the echad bag, or echad in Hebrew means unity or oneness. So in the Jewish home, this is called the matzatashin bag as well as the echad bag. You with me? All right, so there's the first compartment has a piece of matzah in it. Second compartment has another piece of matzah. And the third compartment has, guess what? A third piece of matzah. But here's what the master of the feast does. He doesn't go to the first compartment or the third compartment. 
He goes to the second compartment of the matzotashin bag. He takes out a piece of matzah, places the bag back on the table, and picks up another little bag, which is called the afikoman bag. Afikoman is written in Hebrew on this bag, and you may not know that, but it's written in Hebrew, but it's not a Hebrew word. It's not a Yiddish word. It happens to be a Greek word that has been transliterated. At least that's my theory, and I've written on that subject, but I'll tell you about that a little bit later. Anyway, the afikoman bag is open, and this piece of matzah is broken in half. Half of it is placed back on the Seder plate. The other half is put in the afikoman bag. Now, this is a bag of white linen. It's folded up, and the master of the feast in the Jewish home today hides it away. He'll bury it under a pillow someplace, or he'll take it to another room. And the children who are involved in the meal during the meal that comes after all of this, we'll run around all over the house trying to find the afikoman bag because it's also considered the treasure, the tzaddik, it's the treasure. And so uh, when they find it and they present it to the master of the feast, he will pay them for it. He will give them the price that, for, for, for this uh, that they have found. More about this a little bit later. But this is all part of the yachutz. It's called the breaking of the middle matzah. Okay? Now, this introduces the uh, Magid, and the Magid is part of the Haggadah, which is the telling of the story. And as I said, this is a br- very brief presentation. In fact, uh, Pastor, when do I stop? Is, it a, is that clock right? 11 o'clock? Yeah, that's right. Do I stop at 11.15? Oh, you don't say that to people. <laughs> Let's take a vote. <laughs> well... <laughs> I will go maybe a little bit longer than normal, but this is really a two-hour presentation. If you were in a banquet, and we do this in churches all the time, we have a full banquet, and we do the Passover Seder, and they provide the meal uh, after this presentation, the meal followed by the after-the-meal events, uh, it takes two, two and a half hours. So put that on your calendar for next year or the year after. So this is a very abbreviated thing. But much of the time is spent reading a lot of reading from the rabbinic sources, reading from the Bible. And one place in particular that uh, the master of the feast will read from is Exodus chapter 12. So I'm going to read that portion for you, and I want you to be thinking. This is the, this is the beginning of the Passover uh, festival. This is the first set of instructions that were given. Okay? The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of the year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share with one another, their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. And you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. You can take them from the sheep or the goats, but take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all of the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So they're slaughtering the lamb in their individual homes. And then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and on the top of the door frames of the house, 
where they eat the lambs. And that same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. So do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire. Head, legs, inner parts. Don't leave any of it until morning. And if some is left until morning, you must burn it. And this is how you were to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And then these, uh, these words that follow. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. I will bring judgment on all of the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Those are not the words of a vindictive God. Those are the words of a judging God who judges sin unless blood has been applied. And so the blood must have been applied to the homes of those Jewish people if they wanted to be saved from that, uh, that judgment. All right, well... Um, the next cup is poured at this point, the second cup of wine. And does anybody remember what the name of this cup is? Plagues, exactly. It's the cup of plagues or the cup of judgment. And uh, about this time in the meal, the children are getting a little bit uh, antsy because we've been reading and reading and reading, right? So the kids get to be involved. And the way they're involved, first of all, is to have the youngest male, usually, in the room, come forward and ask the four questions by way of a song, a nice lilting little melody that sounds something like this. I know it's hard to imagine me as a small child, but it's something like this. Ma nishtana, halayla hazeh, mikol halelot, mikol halelot, halayla hazeh, halayla hazeh, mikol halelot. And that uh, it's just a beautiful respite in the, in the evening. And the questions that are being asked in the four stanzas of that song are, well, why is it we're eating matzah tonight? On all the, all the nights we eat leavened bread, but not tonight. We're only eating matzah. In fact, for a full week, it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and they eat only matzah. The second question is, why is it we're eating only bitter herbs? We usually eat all kinds of vegetables, but tonight, yuck, it's just the parsley and a little bit later, the maror that we'll see. Why is it that we're doing that? Well, the master of the feast will answer these questions. The first answer is, of course, well, we had to leave Egypt very quickly, so we didn't have time to allow the bread to rise, so we had to make it unleavened. That's the answer that is given in the homes today. There's another answer that is given in the homes today that we'll get to in a few moments. But <clears throat> what about the bitter herbs? Well, that's to remind us, just as the salt water reminds us of the Red, Red Sea and the tears that come down our face when we think about bondage to sin or bondage to the Egyptians, so too it is the bitter herbs that remind us of how bitter slavery is. And then the third thing that is mentioned is, well, why is it we dip twice? We've already done the first dipping. It's the dipping in 
uh, the salt water. But it says also that there's another dipping. We dip the parsley in salt water, and then we dip the bitter herbs in haroseth, another element you'll see in a moment. Why are there two dippings? Please, please keep this in mind as we proceed. It becomes very important as I gave you the denouement of this entire presentation. And so in the Jewish home, they're doing things that they have answers for, but not very good answers. Sometimes they'll ask, well, why the middle matzah? Why is that middle matzah taken out and broken? It's not part of the four questions, but it's certainly on their minds. Why do we do something like that? The answer that is often given is, well, uh, somehow or another it represents the Israelites and, and the Levites. Uh, or maybe it represents the two loaves of bread that were brought to uh, Abraham by the angels or that were served by Abraham to the angels back in Genesis. All kinds of uh, suggestions as to why the middle matzah is broken uh, in the Jewish home. And so the three questions that are sung by the young man uh, are those three. Why matzah? Why bitter herbs? Why do we dip twice? The fourth question is, on all other nights we sit sitting upright or uh, not reclining. Why on this night do all of us recline around the table? And the answer to that is that, well, we're looking forward to the freedom that we have. Just as the Jews of the Israelite uh, exodus uh, had freedom following it, so too we are looking for freedom, complete freedom, uh, when the kingdom comes. All right, so those are the uh, four questions that are asked. And then there's more reading. Uh, and uh, again, the children are just getting, they're ready for the meal, you know. And many of the adults are really ready for the meal too because this takes over an hour <laughs> to do. <clears throat> and so there's another little thing that is done that uh, if you were sitting around a table with me, you would do it as well. You would take the second cup and you would repeat after the leader of the meal, uh, all of the plagues of Egypt. Now, I'm going to ask you to do this, and I know you're very staid and proper and sophisticated Presbyterians. But you're going to have to cut loose a little bit here. So every time I say one of the plagues, you have to shout it out after I say it. Are you ready? Can you do this? <laughs> I hope so. All right. A finger is dipped into the wine, and a little bit of juice or wine is flicked on the plate. And repeat after me. Blood. Blood. You are Gentiles. <laughs> Frogs. Frogs. Vermin. Vermin. Flies. Flies. Pestilence. Pestilence. Louder. Louder. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say bo boils? Boils. Hail. Hail. Locusts. Locusts. Darkness. 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 Slaying of the firstborn. Trying not to make too much of a mess here. So the kids are awake now, just like you're a little bit more awake than you were before, right? So we move on through the Seder, and it's just a, it's just a beautiful time. It really is. And Linda and I, she'll tell you afterwards that, uh, that it's a matter of worship almost when we're in these Jewish homes who take this seriously. But it's a, it's, there's a lightness to it. There's a joy as well. There's a bitterness as well as a joy. So it's, it's that bittersweet experience every time that we go to one. <clears throat> well, the kids may be, uh, again, a little bit uh, sleepy, so there's a song that is sung, one that you've probably heard if you watched any of this on TV or YouTube. It's called Dayenu, and it goes something like this, uh, the way it begins anyway. 
Let me find the verse so I don't. Yeah, ilu ilu hotsianu hotsianu, mi mitzrayim hotsianu, mi mitzrayim dayenu, dai dayenu, dai dayenu, dai dayenu, 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 dai dayenu, dai dayenu, dai dayenu, dayenu, dayenu. Now you would be singing that if you were in the Jewish home. You would especially be joining in on the chorus. And then you would say, okay, well, I'm glad that's over. But there are 13 stanzas. So it takes a while to get through the whole thing. By the time you're finished, though, everybody's awake for sure. And the master of the feast says, you must talk about at least these three items, or you haven't done the, um, the Seder meal justice. And the first thing that he will pick up of the three items, the first thing is the shank bone of a lamb. And he will say something like this. It's because of the death of the lamb in the time of Exodus that we were set free. It's because of the death of the lamb that we are alive today. And then he will put it back on the plate. He will also say that uh, the matzah, the matzah that we broke and hid away part of it, this matzah represents the bread that we baked but in every Jewish home, now listen carefully, the Jewish homes will say, the rabbis also teach that the matzah represents the Passover lamb. So it's more than just the bread. It's another kind of bread, perhaps. And then the third thing that is mentioned is the maror. Maror is the bitter horseradish that is found on the uh, plate. A red horseradish, it's uh, very, very potent, and this is going to be part of the ceremonial meal in just a moment. So those three, th- three things must be mentioned according to the rabbis, or you really haven't done the meal justice, okay? I'm not going to go into some of the discussion of each one of those, but I am going to get to the second uh, prayer that is given over the wine, and this is the cup of plagues. And it's a result of the blood of the lamb. It's a representation of the blood of the lamb. And one of the things that we love when we're at one of these meals is when the master of the feast, especially a dignified uh, medical professional, will raise this cup and he'll say this prayer. And listen carefully. We, those of us around the table and all Jewish people, we are therefore privileged to thank, praise, adore, glorify, extol, honor, bless, exalt, and reverence him who wrought all of the miracles for our ancestors and for us. For he brought us forth from bondage to freedom, from sorrow to joy, from mourning to holy days, from darkness to great light, and from servitude to redemption. And therefore, let us chant unto him a new song. Alleluia. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. And we drink together. <clears throat> All right, more things are done. There's another washing. We will dispense with that for sake of time. And we come to the uh, tasting of the food. The first thing we do is to take a piece of the bitter herb, or a piece of the matzah, and put it on the, uh, a piece of, I'm sorry, put 
the maror, the horseradish, onto a piece of matzah about the size of a postage stamp. A blessing is said over this, and then uh, the master of the feast says, all right, everybody, all together now, and we all sitting around the table, take it. <clears throat> straight horse, it's straight horseradish, and it can be a little bit potent. So give me a moment. <clears throat> if it's potent enough, it will cause you to cry. And there's nothing quite like seeing everybody around the table with tears streaming down their faces. It's done by design. It's intended to help the Jewish people remember their captivity in Egypt and the freedom that God provided for them miraculously by delivering them through the Red Sea and into a, a free land. So that's the first thing that is taken. Then next we take a, a piece of uh, matzah and we, we put something called haroseth on the matzah. This is a delightful apple and cinnamon and uh, wine and honey and I don't know what all is in it, but it's just a delightful uh, thing to eat. And it represents the mortar that was used in building the, the uh, buildings in Egypt. And so this is taken onto a, a piece of matzah. And the kids are thinking, oh, great, we're going to have something sweet now. Not so fast. Because you also have to put some maror on top of this. So it becomes what's called a sandwich. The sandwich with the bitterness and the sweetness together with the matzo. So we have the symbol of the lamb surrounding a sandwich that has bitterness and sweetness. And then we all take together. Oh, by the way, the master of the feast makes these sandwiches. He prepares these sandwiches and puts them on a plate. And they go around the table. People take them. And then uh, all together they take it. better. That's all that goes on before the meal. And someone shouts, Shulchan Aruch, the prepared table. So bring the food. And so the meal comes in. And usually it's a wonderful meal. It's a wonderful meal that is catered usually. Sometimes they have brisket. Sometimes they have lamb in the Mediterranean area. So all of the, this happens, we have a wonderful meal together, and then we come to the end of the meal. And so I'm skipping ahead about an hour, you with me? And now we're at the end of the meal, and the, the child has come forth, and he's given us the afikoman, right? So the afikoman is now in the possession of the master of the feast. And he um, will take this, and remember this is after the entire meal is eaten. This is the last thing on the menu. He will take that piece of matzah, and he will break it onto a plate about this size, little pieces, about the same as the koreak, the sandwich. He will pass it around. And then everybody will take this without a word about its significance, except we already know that the rabbis call this a reference to or a symbol of the lamb, right? So they will take this and they will take it together. So this is the last thing that is eaten at the meal.
The third cup of wine is now poured. The blessing is given over it. What's the name of this cup? Cup of redemption. This is taken. The blessing, which you probably know by now. Barukata Adonai. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. And we all drink together. <clears throat> there are other things that don't have time to go into right now, but I'm going to be around. I'll be here all week. <laughs> no, I won't, but I'll be here later today if you want to um, ask any questions that you want. But here's the thing that I want to share with you. If you haven't made the connections yourself, you should be able to see that there are various elements in this meal that all Jewish families go through around the world. And we're wondering, well, where did this come from? Where did the breaking of the middle matzah come from? Where did the burial of a piece of the matzah, which stands for the lamb, burying it away in a linen cloth bag, and brought back at the end as the treasure. Now, where did that come from? And the Afikomen. Isn't it interesting that this last piece of matzah is passed out by the leader, and they all take together, and um, here's the uh, contribution that I think I made a few years ago, the word Afikomen. If you were to transliterate that from Hebrew to Greek, guess what it says? Afikomen. <laughs> So is there meaning in the Greek word afikomen? I hope we have some Greek speakers here. Maybe you can help me out afterwards. But guess what it means? I wonder if it's possible that Jesus took that last piece of matzah and he said, uh, afikomen, I came. The predicted lamb who would take away the sins of the world prefigured in the lamb at the Exodus, the Paschal lamb, had come to the earth, had lived his life, and the night before he was uh, killed, he held this before the people around the table, and he said, this is my body which is given for you. We have that in the Bible. But it may be possible that he said, Apikomen, I came. You've been looking for me all this time, and I came. Could I suggest that this might be the first time that you have ever heard that Jesus came for you. I know we grew up in the church. We've been in the church all of our lives. But personalizing it is so very, very important. And all it takes is the belief that his body was given for you. And he died for you. It's, his, it's all what he has done in his death and resurrection not what we do trying to please a perfect God. I'm not finished. The cup of redemption. Is it possible that this is the cup that Jesus picked up? That there were four cups on the table and he picked this one up as well? Or he gave special importance to it in that first Passover meal that they celebrated? Or that, I'm sorry, first Lord's table? And is it possible that since the word means ge'ulah, Redemption is the word, uh, uh, ge'olah. It's like uh, Boaz and Ruth. Remember when Boaz paid the redemption price for Ruth? 
That's what this refers to. It's the redemption. It's the cup of redemption. Is it possible? He said, this is my blood. And uh, I'm giving it for you. And as you eat it and drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Well, all we have in the communion service are these two elements because it's been, it's been um, reduced in the New Testament to this symbolic interpretation. But we think that it goes back to the Jewish uh, Passover meal. And we think that many of these things are actually instituted by our Lord himself, the one who gave his body, because all of us go astray. Each one follows his own way, but the Lord has laid down his life for us all. He's the sheep, the lamb, who died in silence for us. Well, this is the Passover meal. And I hope, uh, I know it's probably a lot to get in one morning. And you weren't expecting this, were you? And I know it's a lot. And I hope that you will uh, just take it to heart. There's so much that goes on. So I want to pray now. And then we'll take over the rest of the service. And then I'll come back and we'll go through the abbreviated form of the Lord's table. Let's pray together.